Welcome to Faith in the Fast Life, brought to you by Fast Life Ministries. The podcast that dives deep into the stories of God's redemption. 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 This week, Overnight Redemption. And I believe you're real, and so I want you. And I fell asleep. And yeah. I woke up a different human. Luke Navarre on Faith in the Fast Life. Give our podcast a follow and check us out on Instagram and Facebook. You can also find us at fastlifeministries.com if you want to partner with us. Now let's get into the episode. Awesome. So Luke Navarre. Yes, sir. You are here. We are at the, for, for all the listeners, we are at the Monster Energy Supercross at Mile High Stadium in Denver, Colorado. We are doing the very first podcast out of the trailer that we have ever done. So Luke, welcome to the trailer. Welcome to the show. Um, we are, yeah, we are so stoked to have you, man. It's, uh, it's awesome. So Luke is here uh, helping Team Faith. Um, who uh, Brian O has done the podcast with us. If you guys want to go back and, and catch the episode with Brian O, uh, the founder of Team Faith, uh, incredible story there, and we're just honored to uh, be able to, to share your story today, Luke. So, man, no script, no thing. Just uh, tell us about Luke, man. What, where you come from? All right. Well, my name is Luke Navarre. I'm from uh, Graham, Texas, a little town just northwest of Dallas, Fort Worth, and uh, we do a motocross ministry down there as my as my day job, and so. Um, I've, I've known Brian O'Rourke for a pretty good while and traveled to Egypt with him a few times and done ministry over there with some of the freestyle shows that they do over there. And, uh, just been blessed to get to know them guys better. Um, yeah, man, I, I head over heels in love with Jesus. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I was an atheist that obviously didn't believe. Uh, I, I say I didn't believe. I, I think I may have just not wanted some God to meddle in the life that I was wanting to live. You want to do it your way. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And um, me and a guy was ripping off a drilling company one night. We had cut the fence, and we were carrying stuff over to load it in the back of the pickup and a little bit later and uh, sell it to the salvage yard the next day to buy weed. That was our that was our intent. And, uh, man, it was uh, it's kind of a, a an epiphany that makes a lot of people uncomfortable because the way the Lord spoke it to me, it's not really callous, but it's not, it's not something that sounds like real pulpity. But... The way the Lord spoke it to me that night as I was looking around, there was so much order to creation that there had to be a creator in my mind. And so it came to me that you're more than the product of a cosmic fart. And it was like, it just, that's what spoke to me and it resonated with me because in my mind, the cosmos had kind of hiked and out of that gas come some sort of creature and here we are, you know. But that epiphany to me that night was, was deep. It was real. So told my buddy, I said, I think, I think there's a God. And he said, you know, I've been thinking the same thing. And at the time I was living with my brother, um, I was 17 and living at my brother's house. And there was a lady that would come over and talk to my brother's wife about God. And so I knew that that lady was one of those people. And that was all I knew. And I knew one day that she had said she lived on Tennessee street and I knew what she drove because I'd seen her car in the driveway. So I had the pieces to the puzzle of push come to shove. And so that night, my buddy said, I've been thinking the same thing. And I said, I know somebody. Right. I love that you said, not interrupt, I, I love that you said she was one of those people. Because, <laughs> like, you know, before, I, I've probably said this on the show before, but I can remember a time when I, when I literally used the term a Bible-thumping goody-goody. Because I looked at, quote-unquote, those people as better than me. Um, 
like they had it all figured out, but they were just condemning and judging me. And, and I think that's a common theme still to this day. And that's what, you know, we aim to break down those barriers, right? Like we're all sinners. So, so you had the, you had the map, you had the key to how to get there. It was for, for whatever reason, it was stored in your brain. You remember the car, you remember the street by chance. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a, there's this Holy spirit that, that beckons us and woos us whether we realize it or not, but to each person out here that's hearing this, the spirit of God is, is wooing them some way or another. And, you know, God's desire is that none should perish and all should come to repentance. And so that was that he, he was, it was beyond what I could take anymore. The wooing was beyond what I could take. I needed some substance. And, you know, I think a lot of us are looking for some substance and, uh, that night creation was just enough to me that I knew that there was something more. And uh, so I, I told him, and I, so we, we, we dropped what we were doing, hopped in the pickup, and drove down Tennessee Street at one o'clock in the morning until we found a white Buick LeSabre, and knocked on the door. So you, so you, you were convicted during the process of cutting the fence and ripping off this place yep. to the point where at one in the morning you, you, you went searching for this lady and woke these people up. Wow! I mean, one in the morning. This isn't one in the afternoon. This is one in the morning. Like, that's conviction. It, it is. But that being said, you know, for, for God-fearing, God-loving people that believe in eternity, these people were genuinely excited to have two thugs come knock on their door, you know. And I really didn't know what to expect. I, I was, a, you know, I wasn't a, a real respect. I didn't have a lot of respect for people. So I wasn't even worried so much about that. But I didn't know what to expect. And I did not expect a long-haired guy to answer the door that answered the door. And I thought, and I said, I'm sorry, I must have the wrong house. I'm looking for this Jesus lady that talks to my brother's wife. And he said, that's my wife. Come on in. And they put the coffee on. And and so we stayed there till four o'clock in the morning. I love the obedience of the people to answer the door to to what I'm assuming is a you know, just like I was at 17, like it didn't look like I belonged, didn't need to be there. And boom, you, you, they answered the call. Well, so to, from their perspective, I was the one that did need to be there. They, they needed, they wanted to be salt and light. They wanted to reach the lost. They wanted to touch the hurting. And so I was really who needed to be there, but the masses, that's not who, that's not who were wanting to knock on our door at one o'clock in the morning, you know? Well, they put the coffee on and they shared the gospel with us and even offered to pray with us. And I told them, now I'll talk to God when I get home. And I'll just tell you, I didn't know a sinner's prayer, if you will. I didn't know a proper way to do it. But fixing to leave and I look and there's a picture of a young lady on the wall. And I said, who's that? And he said, that's my daughter. And I said, I'll marry her. And he bristled up on me a little bit, but we dated for eight. <laughs> we dated for eight years and been married for 26 now, so... Praise God, man. And you guys can't see, but she's sitting in the trailer here with us, listening to the podcast from the background. And we are, we are so thankful for your parents. Um, yeah, praise God, because here we are today. Well, so I went home that night and laid in my bed at my brother's house. And I di- again, I didn't know a fancy prayer, but I prayed a genuine prayer and I meant it. And I, the gist of it was, God, I know I'm headed to the pen of the grave and, and I believe you're real. And so I want you. And I fell asleep and I woke up a different human. That's pretty, so awesome like a different human. And I don't understand fully why that doesn't happen for everybody, you know, because sometimes you just see that miraculous boom in somebody in glory to God. I got to be that guy where there was just a miraculous change. And for others, it seems to be more of a process, you know, like an arduous process for some even. And, and I don't understand that fully other than maybe in the process, the roots are getting deeper and, and getting broader and they're getting more of a foundation. But 
God knew that I had a, a circle around me with her family and, and the people that the youth pastor that showed up to my house two days later. Right. Coming at you. So let's take it back a little bit, Luke. So you're talking about 17 years old. You're, you're in the process of, of stealing. You're convicted. Uh, you, the, this whole night you, you meet your, your future bride or at least see a picture of her on the wall. Um, obviously meet your in-laws who, who basically are, are responsible for, for helping save your life, you know, being, heeding the call that God had on them to be able to get a hold of you. But as we go back in the story, you were living with your brother. You're 17 years old. You're living with your brother. Tell us a little bit more about your upbringing. Well, you know, I grew up in a broken home. Um, my dad was, was an alcoholic and, you know, he broke his back when he was in the military. And so he took a lot of painkillers. And so he took a lot of things. <clears throat> speed type stuff to kind of counteract the down of the painkillers. And so he was, he was just an up and down person. And my mom had a chemical imbalance. She had, uh, she took a lot of medications also. And so she was a believer. Um, I, I didn't really see that in her life, but she was a believer. And from birth, she told me that I was going to be a, a preacher and that her and I weren't going to have a relationship. And, uh, you know, I, I thought she was a lunatic for one, because I didn't believe and, and two, why would you tell your child that? But she was right on both accounts. We really didn't have much of a relationship. In fact, she died five miles up the road here living in Denver. And I was actually on my way to do ministry in Montana and uh, was going to stop off and see her. And she died about an hour before I got there. So we just had a really strange relationship. And my, she always told me when I was old enough to tend to myself, she was going to leave my dad. And so on the day of my 16th birthday, she left my dad for another man. And so just bitter. I was just bitter, just you know, frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Hard, hard. And, and that was, she was the Christian that I knew of in my life. And so I just, I just didn't want nothing to do with that. So now that kind of represents that, uh, false Christianity, if you will. Like we talk about, we're all sinners. We all fall short, but a lot of people, like when I was on the outside, I didn't recognize that at all. And so all you see is the hypocrisy. And, and we talk about this a lot. Um, but the, the, the fact that we're all sinners, means that we're all also human and therefore we're all flawed. We're never going to be perfect. But a lot of times as an outsider looking in, you're looking to Christians to judge them as much as you think they're looking to judge you. But we've got to remember that we're all human, right? So like you see that from your mom and you're going, well, wait, like she was the picture of Christianity and now she left my dad. She left me. She divorced him. She was, you know, possibly having an affair. I don't know. But now your view of Christianity is completely skewed because you think that Christianity is perfect, which to anybody out there and whoever needs to hear this, share this, share this episode, push it everywhere it needs to go. And just remember that we're all human. We're all flawed. Like Christianity is not perfect. Jesus is perfect, but we are not, we are flawed. So that's a great analogy in it. And it, you're right. I, a guy last year, two years ago up in Montana, um, Really cool story, and I won't go into it, but he was in a Harley group, and he, he, he talked about how judgmental Christians were, and, you know, how just that way, and, but in his group, you could only ride a Harley, it had to be black, literally, you know, had to, you had to wear certain stuff, and it's all you could wear, and it was like, bro, you are the pot calling the kettle black here, you know, and so exactly what you're saying, we're all judgmental, we're all trying to read the the fruit, the book, you know, we're trying to read the book, try by the cover and see the fruit that the tree's putting out to determine whether we want to buy what they're selling. And unfortunately, Christianity does have that tone about it that we're supposed to be perfect. 
And you're right. Jesus was, and he's, he is why we call on him because he is what we couldn't be. He died for our sins, right? He, yeah. he, he died for the multitude. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff. So that's the image you kind of have. So you're, you're calloused, your heart is hardened. Um, so 16 years old, she leaves, you move with your brother. Well, my dad got in trouble because he found out she was leaving and he crawled in the trunk of the car with a 3030. And she, they, when they got to the motel that they were going to, he steps out with a rifle. And so he ended up having to go away for a while. And my mom was gone and I was 16 and I guess I kind of fit through, slipped through the cracks. And so and I really didn't want to have to go to a home or whatever. And so I had to go to work and uh, it was just, yeah, it was just a weird time in my life. Frustrated, bitter, um, really wanted to play, but wanted to eat too. And so... And that had a little to do with some of the stuff of ripping off drilling companies and things like that was just trying to get by, you know, trying to make ends meet as a young, rebellious punk kid that really didn't have a lot of. So through all that, can you see now? Because I know like after I came to the Lord, I can look back on things and go, oh, yeah, that was God at that moment. Do you believe he was with you even then? I absolutely believe he was with me. Do do I think he orchestrated everything that happened? I'm not going to say that per se. Um I'm not an absolute Calvinist, you know, I'm not to get real doctrinal, but uh, I believe Arminianism, Calvinism, they kind of coexist, you know, and I think sometimes we just say, well, it's just going to happen and I'm just going to sit here like a bump on a pickle. And if God wants me to serve him, it's just going to materialize. And I don't align with that wholly, but do I believe he was with me through those days and, and using those things to help even make me who I am today? I absolutely do, you know, and in James, it tells us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. We know the testing of our faith develops perseverance, and perseverance to finish its work. So we mature, complete, not lacking anything. And so I think, yes, he was growing me up through that, using circumstances. Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for the good as others that love him and been called according to his purpose. Absolutely believe God was with me through those things. And, and I am partly who I am today because of that. So I told you that I went to work at an early age. The last grade I passed was third. I'm redheaded under this cap. And so I'm just old enough that they didn't throw pills at me when I was younger in school. But I I was pinging off the rev limiter, bro. I bounced off the walls in that schoolhouse. And I was trouble for those teachers. And so they just advanced me every year because I was high maintenance. And so, um, you know, the things that I get to do, I tout myself to be the most blessed man on the planet almost on a daily basis. And it has a little to do with my financial status, but it has a lot to do with the fact that the Spirit of God lives inside of me. And I fully believe that that God lives inside of me. I just think it's really cool that a third grade graduate gets to travel the world and do the things that I get to do in Egypt and Peru and Mexico and different places and sit in a podcast right here at Denver Supercross and share the story of what God has done in my life. So yeah, it's, it's a cool, from my perspective, it builds my faith that God is who he says he is and that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he said he would do simply because we look in the Bible and we see that he used sometimes the less thans, if you will. Or maybe not not less thans, but people that really have to count on him because I don't have a pedigree. I don't have a piece of paper on the wall that I can lean on and say, I've got this. I've got the Spirit of God inside of me, and that's it. And quite honestly, there ain't nothing better to have than that to, to fall back on. So yeah, Love God, love people. Glory to God, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. So, so, as you, so tell us how the rest of that walked out. So we kind of got the background of the childhood. You know, 16, mom leaves, dad goes to jail. You have to hustle on your own to make ends meet. You know, a little over a year later, you're convicted. What happens next? A few days after I gave my life to the Lord, there's a knock on the door at my brother's house. And this guy shows up and he's a, 
youth pastor of the local Assembly of God Church. His name's Philip Roop, and uh, he was a big gentleman. Um, wrestled in college, and I say big, he was probably 6'2", 220, and just a yoked-up specimen of a guy, you know. And he knocked on the door, and he said, hey, I'm the youth pastor up the street. I've heard you recently gave your life to the Lord. i got to drive to Wichita Falls today, which is about an hour drive. Would you like to ride with me? And I said, no, I don't know you. I don't want to ride with you. You're strange, you know. He said, if I could pick the back of my pickup up off the ground, will you go with me? I said, absolutely. He hunkered down behind that pickup, grabbed it, and stood up. And before the back wheels hit the ground again, I was sitting shotgun ready to go. And he was he was a radical, I mean, radical, head over heels in love with Jesus guy, evangelistically minded. And within just days, had me out on Main Street in my town passing out tracks to my peers from school. And uh, and then started getting me involved in inner city street ministry and, and just just a radical love Jesus guy. So he discipled me and he ended up moving to Missouri. We worked actually we ended up working in the oil patch together, worked on a drilling rig together. And then he moved to Missouri and took a youth pastorate there. And, and my wife's family followed him and I followed them and and uh, was just under him for several years. And he went to California and we followed him to California for a while and just just spent time under him. And so. Yeah, God put a guy in my life that was going to disciple me, that was going to give me a, a heart and a willingness to, to step out and be bold for Jesus outside the four walls of the church. And we talked yesterday, and I'm, I am a huge proponent of conventional church. I believe in it. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. But I do see sometimes, at very least sometimes, that we, we, we get country club in Jesus' name. And he, he was definitely not that guy, man. He was like, we need to get out and share our faith and go love on the hurting outside these four walls. And so he just instilled that in me. And so, yeah, pretty much from, from the day I said I do, it was like I just got flung in headlong. And it, it was just incredible for me. It was just, um, it was perfect. God orchestrated some really cool things for me to get involved in. And then ended up going through a program called Master's Commission back in the 90s, which is through the Assemblies of God a year long. So, so from the time that you met him and he started putting you on street ministry, this is 17 years old. What's the time frame from 17 to the master's program? Was it five years probably? About five years from then until, yeah. And um, so master's was pretty easy for me because I had done so much inner city street ministry and done so many human videos. And master's is a... It's an interesting program. You do, you, you do a lot of Bible memorization. We do a lot of nursing home ministry. We had to go through some Berean Bible courses, a lot of hospital ministry, a lot of inner city street ministry. Um, and so I had already been doing all that stuff from salvation. So to step into that, it was like it was just kind of n- normal. Yeah, yeah, it was real organic feeling to me. It wasn't like it was a new thing. We just did a lot more of it. And so, you know, going to inner cities and doing Mardi Gras is a gnarly place to go out and do street ministry and do human videos, you know, and, and it, we're doing human videos, which is basically you act out a drama to a song. And there's an old Carmen song called The Champion. And it's literally a, a fight scene between Jesus and the devil. And down there at Mardi Gras, they're cheering for the devil to win. You know, they want Jesus to lose. And so just, it's just it was just crazy stuff getting exposed to. But at the same time, you see where the hearts of men are. And it it moves you to want to be more Christ-like. Yeah, but we realize how fallen we really are. We really are. Right? Yeah, and you see it all around you. And I, I think probably one of my greatest blessings, we we went, to, we were blessed to be able to go to the Colorado Avalanche game last night, right? And uh, I was marveling at the fact of, of the seeing things the way God sees things. 
um, the best I can. Not that I'll ever be that or compare myself by any means. But, uh, like, this woman started dancing to a song, right? And, man, she was just having a great time. I don't know if she was a believer. I don't know what she was. But I looked at one of God's children and go, man, she's really having a good time. It just put a smile on my face to see people the way they are and, and see them for what they really are. Right. Realizing. So I think we're often all we we, uh, we choose to be offended often. Right. And and I say choose because we really do choose. People are broken. Everybody's hurt. Everybody's going through something. And whether they know Jesus or don't know Jesus, um, I think that 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 can be a stumbling block in relationship at times for Christians and non-Christians. And so I'd encourage everybody out there to just love on others, love on people, see them the way God sees them, and recognize that they're broken. That they, they may not even be trying to hurt you. You're choosing to be hurt. But their, their hurt, their brokenness is what causes the hurt within you. So I don't know why I just spit off on that for a second, but it's a... Uh... I think we all need that. And, and, and so shortly after I gave my life, the Lord got involved. I was going to start small, so I started at John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. That's one of the first verses I memorized because it's two words, pretty easy, you know. Man, I wondered why Jesus wept, and he hurt for people. He hurt. He was broken for people, and so that's what I wanted. I asked God, God, I want to have a heart for people. I want to feel this life, and so that's what you seen last. That's what I see in you because what you seen last night, you had a heart for people, and you seen the joy in her. It brought joy to you, and then at the same time, we're to bear one another's burdens, and so. I get to do that with people, and I feel so blessed to sit even on this microphone and weep intermittently because I still feel those those hurts and the joy and different things that people deal with. So, yeah, no, I think what you just said is beautiful and needs to be heard often because we do choose to be offended. And, and shoot, I've been guilty of that the last couple of days, choosing to suck my thumb and be offended over silliness. So. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, well, maybe that's why we said it then, right? That's That's how God does things, so... So as you go into this, uh, it was called a master's? Master's commission, yeah. Master's commission. Where did God take you from there? Well, went through master's, got out of there, and uh, basically just went to work. You know, went to work for a courier service there in Missouri, and then then went to work for a, a, a factory there, started at the bottom, and just within a year or two, I was a plant manager. And we ran about, I don't know, 30 employees for the most part. Um Decent job, started road racing, and got real involved in road racing, super bikes, and, you know, that was felt like my calling in life, but I got a pretty late start. You know, I started like mid to late twenties and, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to can your, your self-preservation muscle is, is working too good at that point in life for me to really do great at that sport. We had some success, had a lot of fun traveling around the country, you know, road racing and doing that stuff. Um, but then we got, we got pregnant and I, I just did not want to, um, leave my child with a, so we did, we skipped a point there. We missed uh, we missed marriage. Oh yeah. yeah so we were seven, when when did the marriage come? Immediately after master's commission. So we dated for eight years, and um, immediately after master's commission, we got married, and and then went to work, just back to secular work, trying to make ends meet and figure it out. We went we went to California for six months to help do a church out there. That my former youth pastor was going out there to youth pastor. Went to El Centro, California, and. Helped at the church, and I took a job in a prison, cooking in a prison for prison guards. And uh, it was a great opportunity to, to reach out to people even there in the prison. Um, but then after six months of that, we ended up back in Missouri. Her family ended up started going through some problems and marital issues. And uh, so we ended up back in Missouri to kind of be with them. And uh, and then I took the job 
uh, courier service and then took the job in the factory and uh, did that for eight years in the factory and road raced that whole time. And then we got pregnant. Uh, I was 30, 30, 31 when we had our first child. I'm so thankful that your wife is here to confirm your, your timeline right now. Well, I'm looking at her trying to get, <laughs> she's, she's nodding her head. Yep. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't do well with all those things, but yeah. So we, we, then my dad got cancer and I wanted my kids to get to know my dad. So talked to the doctors about him moving to where we were at in Missouri. And they said, probably not the best idea. So we moved back to Texas where I grew up and, um, spent a dozen years or so with him. And then he passed away. And in that process, we, my kid, I took my son to an arena cross race when he was three. And I really had, I didn't have a lot of dirt experience. I rode dirt bikes as a kid, you know, uh, but background road racing, dirt bikes didn't really appeal to me that much, but I was really into the crotch rockets. And so we went to this motocross race or arena cross in my hometown and my son was just, ah, he just wanted it, you know, and I was like, all right. So we bought a little PW50 and put him on it and started racing when he was four and uh, he is now 20, and my daughter, we had a daughter a few years later. She's 17 now. She trains every week. She works with a trainer, and, and uh, she's she's moto madness. Texas motocross state champion last year, I think it was, and she's she's a good, solid rider. She's just brittle, you know, so she finds herself on the couch a lot with broken stuff. But, yeah, then we started going to the races on the weekends, and I felt convicted about not being in the church house, you know, because I, I want to be the example. And if I'm not at the church house, people are looking at me and saying that guy. And so it, I felt convicted. And so I felt an urge to start doing motocross ministry, do trackside ministry. If we were, and, and I'm sure there was a lot of it going on, but where we were, we weren't seeing it. And so we started Alter Motives Motocross Ministries. Is so something I want to pull out of this. A minute ago, you mentioned that you, you took a job in the secular world. And uh, I think that's a point for listeners to grab a hold of that you don't have to be a minister in a church to do ministry. Whatever job you're working, you can still be an example and represent the gospel. You can still love God and love people and be that light in whatever situation God's put you in. Because we're all called to the Great Commission. We're all called to share the share the gospel. So I'm sure you were doing that. But then the other part is where we just came to. You started this. You felt convicted because you weren't in the church house, so you wanted to bring the church to the people. We're getting to times where, guys, maybe you know somebody that, that's doing this, right? Like we have these worldly things that we're drawn to. You know, the races are on Sundays. The game is on Sunday. Um, be bold. Don't be afraid to be bold, even if you don't think you're called to be a pastor, right? The uh, you may be able to get a little little wind burst here. Let's see if this dies for a second. Um, you know, I mean, lead a lead a prayer huddle before a game. Lead a you know, or or at the very least, take that time to build your relationship with the Lord on your way to the race, on your way to the game, or whatever that might be. Like uh, it. I don't think that you have to be inside a brick-and-mortar church house in order to have church. We are the church, and, uh, you know, especially nowadays, whether it's this podcast or maybe it's a, uh, um, you know, a, a sermon on, on video or, or whatever it might be, there's, there's a, a thousand ways to hear the word from the Lord nowadays in this, this day and age. Well, going back to when I, when I said I, I went secular, worked secular job, that almost had a, a negative tone to it. And quite honestly, I feel like, I feel like the secular believers need to, need to pick up 
the ideology that you just spoke of. Because quite honestly, the masses aren't going to the church house anymore. Quite honestly, the masses don't even feel comfortable going to the church house because the government's told them not to go to the church house. And so in order to reach them, the secular worker has to reach out to the co-secular worker. And so it, it, is, it is so much easier to be a reflection of Jesus than what we give it credit for. I mean, I think we feel like that you have to carry this big burden cross into the workplace. And sometimes it's just just caring enough to, to weep with the weeping, to, to genuinely say, man, I'm sorry you're going through that. I'll pray, with, I'll pray for you or whatever. It's, it's so much simpler than what we give it credit for. And so, Benji brought that up. I wanted to go back and, and just touch on that because I didn't want to leave it a negative tone that I went to the secular workplace because I had, I had beautiful ministry time in the secular workplace. And in some cases, maybe even more so than because you build deep relationships with those people. You're with them all day, every day. I mean, it's like almost a spouse. So it's a beautiful place to do ministry. Um, organically you know. yeah build build relationship and, and and lead them to the lord so that's awesome so so you start the ministry yeah. doing the dirt world we we uh I, I had a i had a tree and lawn service and uh doing that on to make a living and then we would go to the racetracks and do ministry and we we became chaplains to this one series uh, the sunbelt series i asked them the very first track i went to was the start of a series race and so i I went up to the organize the organ the event coordinator and said, "Man, could I can I maybe do a little chapel time before the event?" He said, "Absolutely. Would you like to do it for the whole series?" And I said, "Well, sure." You know, so we started doing chaplaincy for this series, and uh, the last round of the series, we were loading up, and my wife's laptop took a nosedive, and so we weren't in a position to just go out and buy another laptop. In fact, we were kind of in a position to either go to the race or buy another laptop. And I've never been a real responsible person. And for the first time in my life, I was like, you know, I think we're just going to stay home and you get a new laptop. We need it for billing and things of that nature. So she said, all right, you know, it's that, okay. So I start taking the bikes back into the shop and she comes back out a few minutes later and she says, you know, that's probably the right thing to do responsibly. She said, but you did commit to be the chaplain for this series. Also, both kids have a chance to win the championship in their classes. And I think we should consider going. Well, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So I begrudgingly start pushing bikes back on with a little bit of an attitude. And we load up and we go to that last round. And it was great, man. We had a great time. The kids did great. And uh, one one of the weird things that happened is my son wasn't always a real good starter. But this particular weekend, he was getting great starts. And there was a lot of really fast national caliber kids there. And so I was kind of afraid that they were going to try to make us have to do our teardown, tear down my bike. And uh, I really didn't have the time for it. I really couldn't afford it to, to rebuild the thing. So I was a little nervous. But anyway, we're packing up. Nobody, I haven't had to tear down the bike or nothing. So we're, we're good. We're loading up to leave. And we're the, the last people fixing to leave. And they send an official out to my rig. And it's like, oh, no, here they come. So they come running out there and they say, okay, they want to see you in the tower. And I'm, here we go. Or I'm fixing to get in trouble, you know. So I go into the tower. They were just gracious and nice. And I'll just tell you, we had... We had $8 in our wallet to get home on. We hadn't eaten all day, so we were going to hit the Taco Casa on the way up the street. And four of us, me and my wife and my two kids, are going to eat off $8 and try to get home. And so they bring me into the tower, and they just said a lot of nice things. They were just really grateful that we had come. And, and uh, you know, my daughter, she had crushed it all series. She was four years old, and she had crushed it all series and won every race in her class and dominated, like, a lot. 
They said, well, we were looking at the points here and we finally done the math. And I don't know if you realize it, but in the fine print, <laughs> whoever got the most point in their series in their, in their class gets this free laptop. So <laughs> I'm sobbing like a little girl. I'm piled up in the floor and I explained to them what's going on. They're piled up in the floor. We're just, we're just a sob fest because we had no idea that there was a free laptop of whoever had the most points in the series. So at that point, we have no doubt in our minds that we're doing what God's called us to do. It's, again, another manna from heaven story that we get to see on a daily basis. Well, she was four years old. She was gullible enough that we was able to go to the taco joint, and I was able to persuade her to give me a laptop for an ice cream cone. So we got a laptop out of the deal. So we knew right out of the box we were doing what God has called us to do. And uh, he just just continue to to feed the, the fire with things like that, you know, and um, got involved with another ministry and then ultimately took that other ministry over, which is Vertical Adrenaline Motocross Ministries out of Texas. And uh, again, I, I'm a third grade graduate. I can't believe I get to go and do and be a part of the things with the people I get to do it with. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Again, it just continues. It's, 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 it's laptop experiences for me every time I get to go and do things because on paper, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy that should be getting to go and do the things that I get to go and do. I'm not educated enough in our society, and I don't have the credentials. But glory to God, the Spirit of God does live inside of me, and He doesn't necessarily always call the equipped. He equips the called. And, and, I, and I, I believe that with every fiber of who I am. And it's, it's hard for me to walk in that, that realization that the Spirit of God lives inside of me because it's overwhelming when I, when I truly walk in it. Because it changes my countenance, it changes my walk, it changes my talk, my expressions, my mannerisms. The way I see people and the way people see me, it changes when I walk in that understanding. And I don't know why it's so overwhelming for us. I wished it was a little easier to walk in because I feel like if we could walk in it more, we could have more of an impact on people. But it's so overwhelming, I can't walk in it all the time because... And that's good to hear too, though, because I mean, it is like, I mean, go back to the humanism of Christianity, right? We're yeah. still humans. Yeah. And even though the Spirit lives in us, we have a sinful nature, we have a prideful nature, and it's, it's all too easy to fall back into that. Because once again, none of us are perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. So it's good to hear you say that because that makes it uh, real, yeah. right? I mean, it, that's, it's, it's real. It's It's... You're human. Well, I share the testimony of how God instantly that night when I gave my life to him, there was a miraculous transformation. And a lot of people think that that means that my human, my human side left and that it's just been easy peasy and that I've not struggled with lust or different things. And that's just not true. You know, there, it, there's, I take up my cross daily, you know, and it is a struggle because flesh and bone does resist what the spirit of God's wanting to do. And, and I don't understand why he drew it up like he did, but I, I think without the struggle, we'd probably just hit cruise control and, and fall asleep at the wheel and who knows where we'd end up, you know? So the struggle makes it beautiful to a degree, you know, without the resistance and without having to continue. Yeah. I, I don't understand it fully, but what you just said is right there. We are flesh and bone and that continues to be a part of the process. And, and, uh, yeah, haven't arrived. I can tell you that much. I sure enough haven't 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 gotten to the point where flesh and bone doesn't still rear its ugly head. And uh, yeah, I, I still yeah. I, it was back in '83, I guess. I, I lied, and so I, I have failed. I have measured. I don't do it very often, but it was '83, and I didn't like it, so I try not to lie no more. I'm kidding. I, <laughs> 
No, pick up your cross daily. Pick up your cross daily. Yep, those want to follow me. Pick them across daily. So, Luke, man, it's uh, it's been awesome to to capture all of what God has done in your life. Uh, I always like to ask people towards the end of the podcast if there's one thing that you want the people to grab a hold of. What's what's one thing that you want them to take home with them today? Uh, you know, just the reality that God wants a relationship, and He wanted it so bad. So bad that even, even in our imperfections, he, he became what we couldn't be and sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. And then, and then is willing to come and live inside of us because I believe that we are absolutely the temple. We are the dwelling place. Now the rent, the veil was rent from top to the bottom and he tore that thing wide open because that is no longer the temple. We became the temple at that point. And so not only does he want us to have a relationship with him, he wants to move inside of us to help us to walk in the victory that that we battle this flesh. He wants to empower us. The, this grace that we talk about, it's, it's not just forgiving grace. It's empowering grace. And his spirit wants to empower us to apply the word of God to our lives and walk successfully and, and, and victoriously the word of God applied to our lives and, and demonstrate it to people and be the hands and feet of Jesus to the lost and dying world. Because if you can't step outside your door and watch what's going on in our society today and recognize that it's, it's because we're dropping the ball, then, then you're, you're seeing something that I'm not seeing because I believe that the spirit of God wants to move inside of us and go out into a society that needs him. And, and to take him to them and to hurt with them and to weep with them and to love on them and to share him with them so that they can walk with the same victory. And it's not like you said, it's not always we just perfect, but we can come back to the foot of the cross, lay it down and pick up that victory again today, tomorrow, the next day. In fact, I believe it's a not a day by day, not a hour by hour. I think it's a breath by breath. We have to walk in it and, and choose, like you said earlier, to, to walk in the victory of who he called us to be. So that's what I, that's what I would want to share with people is that he wants a relationship with you so bad that he sent his baby boy to be what I couldn't be to bridge the gap. Yeah. Well, all have sinned and fallen short and the wage for that, the wage for that sin is death. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that all, if we, all who would confess and believe, and I'm a big believer in emphasis on the word believe, it's easy to confess um, sometimes we like to just get confession, but believe and believe is to cling to, adhere to, and rely on. There's some depth to that. That's we put our make him Lord, not just Savior. And I think when we do those things, it transforms our walk and it changes who we are as humans and uh, makes us more godly. So, anyway, yeah, that's what I would want to get people to understand. He wants relationship. Yep, all about relationship, man. We are blessed to have you here today. This has been absolutely awesome. We want to uh, remind all the listeners, if you, if, if uh, something grabbed a hold of you, share this story, share this podcast with others. You never know who needs to hear this. Uh, God had a reason for all of this. Uh, we thank the listeners for listening. Luke, we thank you so much for being here. And we just pray that everybody has a gloriously blessed day. So, uh, with that, we'll sign off, everybody. Until next one, God bless.